This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 3D Pod. I'm Joris Peels, and with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Max? I'm good. What, who do we have today on the 3D Pod? Well, today uh, we've got Jeff Mice, and Jeff is the CEO of Post Process Technologies, and uh, he has previously brought uh, sold two businesses, the Navtech, uh, the Climate Corporation, and Navtech, for a billion dollars, and uh, uh, to Monsanto, uh, he sold the Climate Corporation, and for eight billion to Nokia, he sold Navtech. So he's probably not doing this for the money. Uh, so we'll ask, we'll ask a little bit more uh, about him. And he's uh, been working on post-process technologies a bit. And that's a very important part of uh, the, the 3D printing industry is, of course, that about a third of part costs are labor. And we, we deliver parts that are, well, I call them shapes, right? Out of the machine, they're shapes. And uh, they're porous, and the surface finish is terrible. And we have to depowder them, and then we have to also cut the supports off often. And post-process is one of the companies in this industry that is trying to automate or partially automate uh, these technologies. And uh, yeah, so that's a really big uh, uh, role to play in, in automating and driving down the cost, which will then, of course, make more and many more applications and parts possible. So uh, welcome to the 3D Pod, Jeff. Uh, thanks very much. Great to be here. Um, so first off, like, uh, so why did you start post-process? Why, 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 why did you start the company? So I- I did not start the company. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no problem at all. And my, oh, what's my the backstory? Nine... <laughs> what's that? What's the backstory on it then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll play the backstory. So, yeah, my 92-year-old father, who's going strong, often asks me, "Why don't you start your own company?" And I say, "Dad, I don't ever have any good ideas, but what I do is find people with good ideas and then help build a great uh-huh. team around them and scale businesses." Uh-huh. And so, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, uh, my background is in technology. Been super lucky and super fortunate to pick the right industries to be in. Just a quick little background. So I was in the digital mapping market uh, working for Navtech. Uh, I started there in 2001 and had about a 12-year run. 2001, folks didn't know what a digital map was. And by the time uh, that I departed in 2012, everyone was using digital maps on their phones. And I think, George, as you mentioned, uh, we Uh, actually sold the company to Nokia. Prior to that, we had taken it public in 2004. And so right time, right place. And what we did was took an analog function and basically digitized it and made it easier for the consumer to get from point A to point B. Uh, From there, I found an interesting opportunity uh, with uh, an ex-Googler, Dave Friedberg, who founded Climate Corporation a few years prior to me joining. And there, what we were doing is digitizing the farm. So again, uh, in the most uh, basic sense, taking the farmer's almanac and generations of knowledge, digitizing uh, information from thousands of sources and being able to provide insights and recommendations down to a kilometer by a kilometer level on the farm to help optimize crop yield, uh, increase sustainability. And uh, once again, we were the first company to do that in the ag space, uh, Monsanto, uh, back in 2013, saw the revolutionary power of what we were doing uh, and acquired that company. And then uh, my plan was to become a full-time professional investor. Uh, first month was bliss. Uh, second month was getting a little uh, 
tough at home since I've traveled 50% of the time throughout my career. And uh, mm -hmm. my wife was saying, you're too young to be doing this full time. You should really go back to work. I uh, was based at that point in Silicon Valley and came across Daniel Hutchinson uh, through a, a former colleague at Navtech and met Daniel. Had no idea when I met Daniel in the uh, fourth quarter of 2015 that 3D printing at that point had been around about 25, almost 30 years. And Daniel explained to me that there's three steps in the 3D printing process, which within post-process technologies we call additive manufacturing. Reason is that at post-process, we're strictly focused on additive and within additive, the industrial segment. Sometimes when you talk about 3D printing, there's a consumer connotation to it. And so our current strategy at post-process is to focus on the industrial segment, especially as we see it migrating towards production at a pretty fast pace. Um, also, other quick fun story is uh, we often call it post-printing uh, because mm -hmm. Daniel had the foresight to spend $3 with GoDaddy and uh, name the company Post-Process Technologies and get the domain name postprocess.com. And so <laughs> with that, as I was talking to Daniel in Q4 of 2015, he said that there's three steps in the industrial additive process, design, print, and post-print. And there's been a lot of investment, a lot of innovation, and a lot of digitization in the first two steps of design and print. But in that third step, it was predominantly manual labor. And so several issues with that that you guys are very familiar with. Uh, but in terms of consistency, uh, throughput productivity, all issues that, frankly, for the first 20, 25 years of the industry, when parts mainly stayed in the R&D lab and folks were printing a half a dozen, a dozen, maybe 50 parts per week, you could battle through support removal, surface finish, and the other post-print functions with manual labor or using traditional tools. But again, Daniel, incredible visionary, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, started thinking about this concept uh, when he was working for Northrop Grumman and was at a Boeing facility and asked how the post-printing was done on some parts uh, that he had, uh, he had seen that were 3D printed. And so he had a vision that started with software and uh, felt that it was gonna be very important as volumes continue to grow as parts became production parts, that there was more consistency uh, from a surface finish perspective, from a support removal perspective, and also uh, throughput and the ability to connect a digital thread. So he started writing code uh, probably about eight or nine years ago. And then at that point, couldn't find any equipment manufacturers that were excited about the industrial additive manufacturing market. And so leveraging his mechanical engineering and electrical engineering expertise, started designing and building hardware on his own. And then at that point in the 2013, 2014 timeframe, couldn't find any uh, chemical companies that were interested in developing specific chemistries, whether it was detergent or media uh, for additive materials. So leveraged his high school chemistry degree and some relationships that he had in the industry to come up with uh, the chemistry component of our full stack solution. So we spent about three months talking to each other in Q4 2015. I did a bunch of research and was amazed at how long additive had been around, as I mentioned. And I felt much like uh, it was better to be lucky than good with Navtech, that the market was at a point that it was going to be essential to digitize and connect that third step in the process. And so I joined Daniel uh, in January of 2016, uh, left warm, sunny Northern California, made my way to Buffalo, 
and heard that Buffalo had an emerging startup community. I hadn't been to Buffalo in probably 15 years at that point. And I thought, Buffalo has a startup community? And that's probably a story for another day, but there's a really cool, uh, small, but quickly growing startup community in Buffalo. And I think we're gonna see more what I would call secondary cities like Buffalo, like Detroit, like Cleveland start emerging uh, as tech hubs, uh, of course, like Silicon Valley is as well as Boston. So yeah, joined Daniel in 2016. I was the fourth employee of the company. And so very early stage, Daniel had self-funded the company at that point. Uh, but I thought with where the market was, the projections of where the market was going, and the shift from prototyping to higher volume prototyping and eventually into production, that uh, the automation of that third step, or if Daniel was on this podcast with us, he would say, digitizing the tribal knowledge of the technicians and the engineers is going to be essential to make additive production a reality. I actually, for a couple of days at Materialize, worked at a, in the facility. And I was just astounded at how much manual labor it was and how artisanal it was. Yeah. I was like, wait, we're not making aircraft parts. We're making like, you know, scented candles or something. It's like, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like kind of like this hand, hand labor kind of industry, you know? So I thought that was, it was really exciting that, that you guys like kind of locked into that, that really essential step of lowering costs and also uh, increasing repeatability and, and, uh, and you know, just making it actually a production technology. Artisanal is a great word. I mean, the, the third step, and again, as we think about it, design, print, post-print, that post-print step, that third step in the additive process is absolutely more of an art today than a science. Yeah. And again, as you guys well know, as volumes continue to grow, uh, it's going to be absolutely essential that that digital thread is connected uh, from mm -hmm. end to end. And you hit on a couple of the key points. One, the, the scalability, uh, consistency, quality, but two others that are really important are traceability. And I would say something that we'll focus on every day at post-process is sustainability. And so we see a big opportunity to, to significantly improve the sustainability of current methodologies, as well as having additive as a more sustainable manufacturing technology versus some of the traditional uh, technologies that have been out there for decades, if not centuries. Yeah, exactly. But it seems like uh, your, your wheelhouse is taking analog things and helping them become digitized. So this is a great... Uh, Great new adventure for you, huh? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it's all about uh, data analytics, and it's uh, you know, data on its own isn't very helpful. And you know, I use Climate Corporation as the example. We had terabytes of data that we ingested every day, and when we go out and we talk to these major farmers, a lot of corn farmers in uh, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, they didn't care about the data. And so what we did was we took that data and used uh, analytics to be able to interpret what that data meant. And analytics are good. But analytics on their own don't provide uh, a lot of value to customers. It's really the insights that you get from that analytic work you do, and then taking those insights and providing recommendations. And so uh, the core of what we're focused on at post-process is that data analytics software element so that it's not uh, human recommendations, it's computer recommendations to optimize the post-printing of the parts. And whether that's support removal, and there's several different types of support removal, resin, powder, or traditional supports that you find on FDM or PolyJet parts, uh, or surface finish, and other applications as well. And it, a recent announcement we made in the past couple of weeks, we're super excited that uh, Dr. Usama Fayed, who's one of the world leaders in artificial intelligence and machine learning. And uh, in fact, quick fun fact about uh, Dr. Fayed, he uh, was at Yahoo back in 2004, and he was the first executive to have the title of 
chief data officer. And so he joined our board uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, that transition from analog to digital is absolutely essential in leveraging data analytics, software, machine learning, and artificial intelligence, we believe uh, will accelerate taking additive uh, that is used predominantly today for production, so end of arm tooling and a, a whole variety of applications, and actually have it be uh, into production and a viable uh, production technology for manufacturing. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like, and what do you see? How do you see that happening? Because we're we're right now working on a batch-based process. Everything is a batch, right? And the machines are going to be running for like a, you know a, a set amount of time, one shift or something like that is, is maybe typical. And you know, do you see like inline post-processing occurring where we're having like a complete line of a system, or do you see like you know batches being driven by robots? How do you see the automation of this really coming to fruition? Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, first, you're absolutely right that right now the mindset is batch, but we are working with a couple of customers that are aggressively implementing production applications. And they understand the need that you really need to get away from the batch mindset. Or again, Daniel, our founder, has a unique way of describing things. Uh, our systems today, our post-process solutions are cul-de-sacs meaning that you put the parts in and you take them out in the, uh, in the same way. And uh, when Daniel first started designing the machines, he designed them so that you could take the back of the machine off so you could put a conveyor through them. And so the need to, today we're working on a couple different applications where cobots, the collaborative robots are being used mm -hmm. to take parts out of the printer and put them into the post print equipment and then continue on into additional steps uh, into products from companies like AM Flow. Um, and, and that works, but to the point about having a conveyor and having a system integrator uh, so that it, it's an end-to-end -end flow and an end-to-end -end process that uh, is lights out and doesn't require any human intervention. Uh, there's, we don't have anything in production today, but by next year, uh, it's probably we will. By 2023, there'll definitely be some applications. And one thing that surprised me is how the consumer goods segment of the market has embraced additive. Clearly automotive is doing a lot in this area. Medical, uh, it's amazing uh, what's happening in the medical market. Uh, aerospace, yeah, a little bit of a slowdown in the past year with what's happened uh, in aerospace, but we see them coming back strong in the second half and continuing to go down the path of implementing production applications. But consumer goods is one that two years ago I would not have put in the top three and they're emerging as a, a segment of the market that will definitely implement uh, additive for production. And then there's other markets as well, uh, oil and gas and, and some other uh, interesting applications that are being developed uh, for production. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, and I also think the, 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 the foresight, I think, in, in, in your company is that, look, it used to be there was like the post-processing technology that was on the floor was like this cabinet and then it had these two rubber gloves sticking out of it. <laughs> that was it, right? And, <laughs> Uh, and you could blast water in it or compress air, right? Depending on which cabinet, right? Um, and then that was it, right? And the rest of the stuff was just like brushes and, and, and stuff like that. So, and I think the, the, the unique thing you guys are doing is, well, there's a couple of unique things, I think. One is you seem to love detergent, right? Uniquely. The second thing is that you give your technologies names like they're from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, <laughs> the, third thing, the third thing is that you, gave, uh, you, you use a lot of software. And I think if we're looking at aerospace parts and stuff, uh, and medical parts, that's super important. 
and I think it was, I think that's a key realization that, that, that is really very important because we are taking surface, we are changing the part, right, in post-processing, where we're changing the internal structure of it, we're changing the surface of it, and that needs to be traceable. So, yeah, that, that I think it could be a key advantage for you guys going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, and so what, what was the, the point about the, the, the naming, the Marvel naming? Uh, yeah, you guys have like, uh, what is it again? You have TAF, SVD, and VVD or something. And it's called like, it's all like variable. I, I forgot the, what the names were again, but they're all like really kind of Marvel Cinematic Universe names. Oh, yeah, got it, got it. Absolutely. No, absolutely. <laughs> and again, we don't, we don't want to make this a Joe Rogan four-hour podcast here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, again, Daniel, extremely creative uh, with help from, uh, from Diane and our marketing team. But we have four technologies in production and a fifth technology that we just patented and we're launching. So it's SVC, VVD, SRF, TAF, and uh, VAD. But for, the, uh, for you guys not cutting this podcast off in the next 30 seconds and for the audience's sake, I won't go into detail of each one of our five core technology families. No, but so, they're called, like, what uh, are they called? What is SVD? What is the actual name for SVD? Yeah, SVD to... is Submersed Vortex Cavitation. And it's really, <laughs> it's oh, really see, cool. no, that makes sense, though, actually. You say that. When you say oh, it does out, make I, sense. I get what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, Maxwell, you're absolutely right. And, and when Daniel comes up with these names, oftentimes about uh, somewhere between two-thirds and four-fifths of the team scratch their head and say, what? And then he explains it, and it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, that makes perfect sense. And so with our right. submersible support removal system, there's a vortex yeah which is a key component of the energy. And again, without drilling down too deep into our technology, what we do is we exert different forms of energy. And I'll stay with uh, SVC, Submersed Vortex Cavitation. Um, and there, we're using a combination of chemical energy, ultrasonics, motion, hence the vortex, vortex. and heat. Yep. Yeah. And the cavitation is obviously a chemical reaction. So it ties back to the chemistry. and. What, what's happening, again, with the full-stack solution of software, chemistry, and hardware, we're controlling the amount of energy coming from different sources. And in the case of, let's just say, polyjet support removal, we're able to take the supports off but leave the build material uh, in perfect mm -hmm. condition. And obviously, the composition of the supports is different than the build material. Uh, but again, when you look at, uh, George, I think as you mentioned, the artisanal approach today, if you're working with a medical model that has some thin veins and you're trying to clean the supports out of those veins, your breakage rates could be 20, 30, 40% as you poke that tool that was developed 100 years ago you know, through that thin wall. And we've more or less eliminated uh, breakage once we dial in a recipe. And again, using the submersed vortex cavitation technology as the example, those parts get submersed. It takes the technician anywhere from you know, two to four minutes to uh, load the solution, hit play. Uh, the software runs the program. They come back anywhere from uh, with, uh, with polyjet from an hour to maybe two hours. They take the parts out. So each part comes out identical. And so we joke that our machines don't get tired. And so that's the consistency benefit we have, whether you're doing one part a day or, or 10,000 parts a day, every part comes out the same. And also the productivity benefit is that we're able to reduce uh, the technician time. And as you guys know, oftentimes engineers are cleaning these parts. We're able to reduce that 90, 95, 98%, because once the parts are in our, uh, in our solution, 
the technician or engineer can walk away and go do much higher value add, added activities mm -hmm. versus having their hands in the glove of the wet blaster mm -hmm. and spraying the part off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I like SVC as well because I think the the cavitational aids in bubbles forming on the parts, and that uh, ends up causing the the support structures to break down faster, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So yeah. I, so I, I think I, that's really yeah. Uh, you have a question? Yeah. No, I, I was going to go off into the business side of it, but uh, if you have a more technical question, George, go feel. No, just about this. Like I think it's really interesting that, that, that you could identify support and the, remove that like the hair gel stuff. But I think the really interesting thing that we need to point out is that there's a recipe, right? So theoretically, you could come up with different settings for Tango Black or for one particular part, right? Uh, and then you can have a, a an, an optimal kind of like program for that particular part. Or that particular material, and then you can have a different one for a different material, and that is, I think, is, is very powerful as well. That's right. Yep. Yeah, and and we're collecting data uh, every day, and that database continues to grow. And so, when a new material comes out, and uh, a few weeks back we announced the strategic partnership with Henkel. Uh, again, as you guys know, it's incredible the number of materials that can be three D printed. It seems like there's almost one a day, whether it's on the polymer side or a composite on the metal side. And so once a new material comes out, you know, let's say it's the high temp 3955 material from Henkel, uh, we have a number of end customers that are utilizing that in several different printers. And when it comes off the printer, uh, we know exactly how to clean the parts off of that high temp uh, resin with one of our resin removal solutions without sharing any proprietary data about the specific parts. If it's uh, someone at, uh, say, at uh, Bose that's using it or at Toro, um, we can share the recipe without disclosing any proprietary information and make it much simpler if a customer decides to utilize 3955, uh, the post-printing uh, work is done in advance of them establishing that workflow based on the data that we've captured and the recipe that we've put together, mm -hmm. which again, that recipe is the, uh, the combination of the different types of energy that get executed on that part. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really exciting. And then also I think I'm really fascinated by the VVD technology because it's okay. So basically you have two arrays of jets that are spraying the parts from above and below, right? That's correct. And, and the parts are basically kind of staying in the middle or how does that happen? That's right. Yep. Yep. The parts stay, stay stationary. Uh, and again, VVD volumetric velocity dispersion. See, that's like the Marvel universe. Yeah, go on. No, but it makes sense when you like when you say the whole thing out. Like I can envision right away what the heck's going on. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. When I'm on the call with Daniel later today, I'm going to tell him that Maxwell and George uh, completely understood the naming. Daniel gets about three to four hours of the night. So somewhere between midnight and two a.m. or four a.m. and six a.m. that he comes up with this brainstorm, and I'll get a chat. Yeah. You know, here's our new technology name for gross depowdering, yeah. variable replacement. <laughs> but getting back to VVD, you're absolutely right. The parts uh, stay stationary. And two things. One is when we first uh, brought that product to market, in fact, uh, Daniel uh, brought the product to market before I joined. And our first customer uh, was Raytheon in Indianapolis. Jack Graham, a fantastic early adopter, real visionary in the additive market. Uh, Dino Award winner from AMUG. And uh, most folks said, you have to submerse FDM parts. And the majority of customers that have one of our VVD solutions are printing FDM uh, materials and using an FDM printer. And uh, everyone said, no, you got to submerse it. And Daniel came up 
with a very unique way, a patented way to leverage uh, high flow, low pressure mm -hmm. so that we're able to get the uh, supports off again without uh, affecting uh, the build material. And those parts are stationary. And one of the big benefits of not having the part fully submerged is one, it's faster uh, from a cycle time perspective. Uh, and secondly, the drying time is much more mm. uh, predictable. And so uh, we had uh, Rob McArdle from Toro. He was going to join us uh, last year at AMUG. And then um, unfortunately, as everyone knows, it got canceled. We're very excited to be going to AMUG here in a few weeks in Orlando. But uh, we did a, a webinar uh, with Rob and he explained how he was able to bring a new product to market much more quickly because he was able to reduce the amount of time uh, required for FDM post printing utilizing our unique spray technology, which mm -hmm. is under the BBD umbrella. Yeah, and then and the other technology is TAF, right? Which yeah. I think is like, the, he was just literally thinking, well, let's throw everything at it. Cause that is like the two jets again, but there's compressed air, media and detergent, right? That's right. Yep. Thermal it's car wash, thermal atomized fuselage. All right. That one I'm less yeah. into. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we gotta get you guys to Buffalo and see the stuff in operation. Cause when you see it in operation, <laughs> it's really amazing. And we, we had a steady flow of customers coming to, uh, to our headquarters mm -hmm. and kind of what we call finished 3D. The other thing you'll yeah. notice is that a lot of names that we use at post-process technologies end in ED, and uh -huh. Daniel had the vision to flip around the E to a three. And so, uh -huh. uh, so uh, our two software platforms are called automated and connected, but staying focused and going back to TAF, thermal atomized fuselage. So you're absolutely right. It's a, uh, a unique technology that uh, we have patents on being able to suspend uh, solids in a proprietary liquid and again, utilizing uh, energy that's controlled by the software. Uh, the most popular application for TAF is metal surface finish. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> funny side story. So uh, we're now in, I believe it's 30 countries. Uh, it's over 25 uh, countries around the world. Uh, Bruno Bourguet uh, joined us about three years ago to lead our international operation. Uh, Bruno's based out of France. And when Bruno joined, he said, oh my goodness, uh, TAF, fuselage means firing line. I'm not uh, sure that that's going to translate so well, but that's exactly what the technology is doing. It's like a, a machine gun firing this uh, proprietary suspended solid that's suspended in the liquid against the material uh, to be able to uh, uh, do surface finish. And again, there's a, uh, different applications for TAF technology but metal surface finish is the number one application. And what's cool about it is that anywhere that uh, liquid can flow, we can get to that surface. And so we're finding applications like waveguides or any metal parts that have internal geometries that are frankly mm -hmm. near impossible to clean using mm -hmm. the manual labor and the traditional manufacturing tools. Uh, TAF take care, takes care of that problem and gives you a consistent RA, a consistent roughness average uh, whether it's an external surface or an internal surface on the business side of this are, are you guys profitable are you i mean it sounds like you're profitable but i could be wrong yeah <laughs> no we we haven't achieved profitability yet uh we've been super fortunate there's been a ton of interest a ton of interest in additive from an investment perspective overall so we've raised uh, three different rounds we raised a seed round 
uh, back in 2016 and uh, raised a Series A round in uh, 2000, late 2017, early 2018, and ra raised a Series B round uh, that we closed in November of 2019. Uh, and the Series B round was led by Grand Oaks, uh, which is the family office of Tom Galisano, uh, the founder of Paychex out of Rochester, New York. Uh, so not too far from us in Buffalo. And so we've really uh, focused intently on investing in the technology and uh, expanding mm -hmm. uh, the technology portfolio. Uh, the fifth technology family, not to get uh, too hung up, Joris, on the, uh, the Marvel names we have, but uh, variable, <laughs> variable acoustic displacement, which I'm sure you guys perfectly understand. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a big investment in technology across the board. When it comes to uh, the hardware uh, chemistry, uh, we have a fantastic team of PhD chemists that are trying to keep up with uh, incredible material developments. As I mentioned, you know, Henkel is very prolific, uh, along with some other uh, material companies out there like Covestro, uh, the former DSM Somos. And then on the software side, ton of things happening uh, from a software perspective. And again, the two platforms we have from a software perspective, and then Maxwell, I'll come back to the question about profitability. Uh, we have automated, which is the machine control software that's included on every solution that we sell, and then connected, which is a really cool development. Again, part of the vision that Daniel had developed six, seven years ago, and we're now executing on, in fact, uh, Rich Capital is our head of product. Uh, formerly of PTC, uh, based in Boston. I know I think you guys, a couple of you guys are in Boston right now. And what Connected does is it connects that digital thread and allows our post-printing solutions to talk to the printers as well as uh, we're working with a number of the major software players to potentially embed Connected in their CAD tools so that today when an engineer thinks about an additive part, they think about design for printing. What we're encouraging them to do is think about design for finishability as well. So that not only do you optimize the design for form fit and function, uh, form fit and function of what you need and the capabilities of the particular print technology and the particular printer you're using, but think about, is that part gonna be finishable? Get into production volumes, change the angle of a part by say 30 degrees and that reduces the post print time, six seconds, and you're doing 100,000 parts a week, that adds up. Over yeah, time. adds up. Um, and so uh, investment in technology across the board, as well as our commercial team from a marketing and sales perspective. And so we haven't achieved profitability yet, but we, uh, based on our current cash flow estimates, we're uh, confident that with our Series B round, uh, that will get us to uh, a cash flow positive situation uh, in the next couple of years. How, how big is the team at this point? Uh, uh, 72 folks overall right now okay. and continuing to grow rapidly. Buffalo is headquarters. Uh, we do have a growing presence in Boston. I mentioned uh, Rich Capolo, our uh, new CFO who joined at the beginning of the year. Uh, Jim Kent, who has an extensive software background with companies like Iconics and MathWorks, uh, joined. And uh, he's based out of Boston. Both of them spent a lot of time in Buffalo. Um, and then we also uh, have a growing international presence our international headquarters uh, right now is down uh, near Nice, uh, along the software corridor there uh, in the Sofia Antipolis region. Mm -hmm. uh, Bruno uh, leads that operation, Bruno Bourget. And we also have uh, distribution partners uh, in APAC, uh, Japan and Australia and New Zealand right now. Uh, and so we'll continue to expand 
our, our distribution channels, as well as put application engineers that are full-time post-process employees uh, in different countries as we continue to scale rapidly. Yeah. So on a, on, a, on a one side, I mean, I think you're the only one-stop shop in the sense that you have nearly all of the technologies and, you know, everyone else kind of like focuses on one technology um, or, or, or one step, let's say. So you have a lot of different machines and a lot of different technologies. Is there a risk that you're spreading yourself too thin there? Yeah, it's something we talk about all the time. You know, something we talk about all the time is say, let's make sure that uh, we deliver a complete solution that's turnkey, especially, are you guys familiar with crossing the chasm and Jeffrey Moore and moving from early yeah. to mm-hmm. early I am. Yep, yep. Yeah, so we are, in the, we are in the process of climbing out of the chasm, you know, have hundreds of customers in the early adopter category. And now we see more and more interest uh, with the early majority, especially as the pandemic, as horrific as it's been for the world, uh, has highlighted weaknesses in global supply chains. And there's been a lot more attention in the past six months at the uh, C-level, uh, the executive level at major corporations uh, about how to better leverage additive manufacturing to strengthen uh, global supply chains. But getting back to the question, uh, one of the things we talk about is making sure that we deliver the whole product for our existing solutions. And again, and, uh, starting with Daniel, you know, our founder and CTO, he's a fountain of innovation. Uh, we built a great uh, engineering team, uh, our development engineering team, as well as uh, Daniel has a team, an R&D team that we call the Think Shack. And literally, uh, we get approached by customers, if not every week, at least several times a month about different ideas, different applications. And one of my toughest uh, jobs day in and day out is to figure out what are the right things to say no to, what are the right things to say yes to. So uh, we continue to focus on the two core areas of support removal and surface finish. And then if we break that down one level further, as I mentioned earlier, within support removal, uh, traditional technologies like FDM and PolyJet, which we've been doing for a long, long time and, and have personally run hundreds of thousands of parts in our lab and customers have run millions, if not tens of millions of parts. Resin removal, which is growing extremely quickly uh, for a couple of yeah. different reasons. And then uh, powder removal. And as I mentioned, the fifth technology family that we're partnered with a consumer goods, uh, major consumer goods company to bring this technology into production uh, the variable acoustic displacement technology, but all under the umbrella of support removal. And so, and there's some commonality and some learnings uh, across each one of those different technologies. And then on the surface finish side, we do both polymer and metal. Uh, and within uh, metal, we really stay focused on four or five of the most common metals, whether it's uh, titanium, aluminum, stainless, or Inconel. But uh, to your question, about staying focused. It's something that, uh, something we, we battle with every day and there's so much happening uh, in additive. And you know, again, as you guys know, you hear a lot about automotive, uh, aerospace, medical, but consumer goods, oil and gas, every imaginable manufacturing segment of the market has something going on uh, with additive. And so we get, again, get requests beyond support removal and surface finish. But for right now, those are gonna be our two core focus areas and just a ton of opportunity uh, for us there, um, as well as some other players in the market. I, I listened to the, the Dimension podcast that you guys did, I think, last week. And so they're doing some really cool stuff uh, as well. And so there's definitely room with the size of the market for multiple players uh, in the post-printing 
segment. Again, we feel that the, the two of our unique advantages is this full stack of software chemistry and hardware and software that not only is embedded in the solutions, but also connects uh, that digital thread. I was, you also mentioned that you had an emphasis on sustainability, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what steps you guys are taking towards uh, achieving those goals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the variety of different things uh, that we're doing in that area. And so when we think about sustainability, uh, there's a big environmental impact as well as an employee safety impact. So again, without getting into too much detail and, and throwing mm -hmm. out a bunch of uh, Marvel-like acronyms that we use internally, um, you know, IPA for resin removal. It's nasty, right? And uh, I was with a customer a couple of months ago, a senior level executive, and he was saying, well, you know, I, you know, we've been using IPA for a long time and it, it's not that bad. And one of the technicians that had been with this uh, consumer goods company for decades said, you've never pushed a cart with 55 gallons of IPA. And I lost my sense of smell 15 years ago due to IPA. And so being able to replace and, you know, and the, the flash point of IPA is extremely low. So yeah. if you're not careful, the explosion risk is extremely high. Right. That would be one example of where we're using a much uh, safer, much more environmentally safe uh, solvent for the resin removal. Again, that's controlled by the software in hardware that was custom designed for additive parts. Um, not only does it help from an environmental standpoint, but it definitely helps from uh, an employee safety perspective. I think also, like, especially in Europe, this is a really serious theme. Yeah, yeah, no question. Um, in Europe, in, in particular parts of Europe, uh, in the Nordics, uh, the ESG scores of corporations is something that is closely watched. It's amazing. I was having a discussion with one of our customers in the Nordics, and he was telling me that one of the challenges he's facing from a recruiting perspective is that if he can't show how his company is going to be carbon neutral in the near future, he's had employees say, I don't want to work here. If you're going to be hurting the environment, I'm out. And he thought, you know, he's been in business about 20 years and he said in his wildest dreams, he would have never asked that question to a potential employer. His goal was to get the job. So uh, it's important around the world, but there's certain markets like Norwich, like Germany, and like California that have uh, very strict regulations, and they're going to get more and more strict as we go forward. And mm -hmm. as we uh, see additive going into production applications and the volumes growing, there's going to be even more focus on it. So the sustainability aspect, you know, it's important just to make sure that we're doing the right thing, again, from an environmental and an employee safety perspective, but it's going to become a core focus. And we believe that there's going to be a lot more legislation. And uh, yeah. again, with uh, our full stack software controlled solution, uh, that's much more environmentally friendly. We think that'll be a catalyst to allow companies to get into production uh, versus being a detriment of companies uh, trying to figure this out once they realize what a significant issue sustainability is from a post-process perspective. Yeah, no, totally. I think, I think, I think, I think it's a key driver. I was talking to a guy who runs additive at a car company the other day, and it's it's literally one of the key concerns he has. It's literally like like this is the, the, it's a, it's actually driving decision making to purchase a particular technology or, or not. So I thought that was that's really interesting that, that that these guys are so let's say woke, <laughs> right? About this kind of stuff, you don't, you maybe don't expect uh, that. Usually throughout my career, it's usually it's greenwash, right? They just want to look good, 
and now they're actually trying to be good. So that's, I think, yeah, I think it's a huge change from a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and so another thing that we haven't really touched on, you have mentioned it, you have a lot of detergents that you use, right? And that's also kind of unique uh, compared to other companies that do the same or similar equipment. So why detergents and what, what does a detergent do? Because I think of like, you know, the stuff you use to wash stuff. So why is it, what is, it, what is a detergent actually doing and why is it important? Yeah. So the, um, when we look at our chemistry portfolio, there's two major categories. There's detergents and there's media. And we, when we look at what we're focused on, support removal and surface finish, in the support removal category, that's using a variety of different detergents. In surface finish, we're using both detergents and media. And again, at Post Process, as I mentioned, we're strictly focused on additive, within additive, the industrial uh, segment. And so in the simplest form, Joris, it's another form of energy. And so we're using uh, chemical energy to uh, using SBC as the example to expedite the removal of those supports. And so we've formulated uh, unique chemistries based on the different additive materials. And, and in this case, I'm talking on the polymer side so that again, we can remove the supports, leave the build material in perfect condition do it in an automated fashion that requires very little, if any, human intervention uh, and do it in a sustainable way. You know, and and one, one other thing I'd add, too, that uh, we've really seen accelerate uh, in the past year, uh, even with the pandemic and the inability to, to meet a lot of folks face to face. A lot of great collaboration happening with the material companies, as well as with uh, a number of the printer companies and the software companies. And so we believe it's really gonna take that type of collaboration uh, from design to print to post print with the software players, with the material players, with the printer OEMs to make sure that first and foremost, we understand what everyone's doing, we're not working in silos and that we bring a turnkey solution to the end customer and that that digital thread is connected, and as we talked about earlier, so that uh, traceability in medical and aerospace and even automotive is absolutely essential. But through those collaborations, and we have several in place today uh, that include companies from those four, four categories, in the past, there wasn't a lot of collaboration. People would think about design, the printer companies would think about printing, the material companies often would work with printer companies, but would uh, sometimes come up with materials or even the material scientists within printer companies would be a little bit off on an island on their own. And then post printing, it was an afterthought, the old dirty little secret of the industry. And we now see much more collaboration across the board there. And again, that's another reason we think that we're at that inflection point where we're going to see additive really moving into uh, production applications. Awesome. And, and do you think, and what's like your goal for the business? If you're looking at enabling this, you've built billion dollar companies before. So I'm guessing that, 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 that you want to do that again, right? But what do you see the, the goal? Where do you want to be in a couple of years from now? Yeah. So just to keep growing triple digits uh, each year, year in and year out. And, and, uh, and that's the financial metric. But at the end of the day, it's removing pain points from customers and delivering exceptional customer satisfaction. And going back to my NAFTEC days, uh, our, our head of strategy who didn't have responsibility for the top line revenue number would talk about, we're going to be a billion dollar business. And when you're 20 or 30 or 50 million, you think, how are we going to get to a billion? And we kept our heads down and would focus day in and day out of how do we solve 
customer problems? How do we deliver an exceptional experience? And how do we learn uh, from the mistakes we've made and how do we further enhance uh, solutions? And uh, when I left uh, Navtech, we were well over a billion uh, in revenue about 10, 11 years later. With the overall size of the market, and I think you mentioned earlier, about a third of the, the uh, spend is in post-printing. And if you look at some of the projections by 2025, 2026, we'll be looking somewhere between probably a 25 billion and $30 billion market. And so we've heard estimates from 25 to 33% of the spend is in that third step of post-printing. If you do some quick math at a high level, you're talking about a six, eight, $9 billion uh, served available market uh, just for post-printing. And so again, with our uh, pioneering approach and being the first ones to bring an automated data-driven full stack solution to market and just being super fortunate to have an incredible list of customers that are willing to provide us feedback uh, day in and day out. And we think we'll be able to capture a good chunk of the market that should lead to uh, hopefully, you know, a billion, a multi-billion dollar revenue company. But that's not what we talk about uh, week in and week out at post-process. What we talk about is what can we do to keep solving customer problems? What's working well? Where are we having issues? And then what's next on the horizon? In fact, recently uh, we took on more space late last year uh, in Buffalo. And uh, Daniel uh, has this dedicated think shack. And so to give Daniel and this team of R&D engineers more space to think creatively and experiment, uh, they're on a separate floor uh, in the building uh, that we're in in Buffalo, uh, which is an old uh, Ford manufacturing plant, which is a story for another day, but a really cool facility. Um, so that not only are we making sure that we're leveraging our existing solutions uh, to solve uh, problems in support removal and surface finish, but that we're ahead of the curve on the next wave of technologies. And again, leveraging all of our experience and making sure that we stay focused uh, so that we don't uh, spread ourselves so thin uh, that we dilute uh, the impact we can have uh, for our customers uh, overall. Okay. Sounds like a great vision, Jeff. And uh, we'll, we'll stand back and watch you have at it, let's say. And thank you so much for being on the 3D pod. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Greatly appreciate it, George and Maxwell, and uh, really enjoy the podcast and uh, look forward to a lot more exciting topics that you guys uh, bring week in and week out. All right. Thanks. And Max, thank you. Thank you for being on the 3D Pod as well. Always happy to be on the 3D Pod, George. Perfect. And uh, my name is George Spiels, and uh, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.